0: you are
1: Welcome to America Can We Talk, on one of our very special Thursday shows. I love our Thursday shows for at least two reasons. One is we have a great studio audience, people get involved, and they love to ask questions toward the end. And the other is that we really get to spend one hour deeply focused on one topic. Today, that topic is going to be election integrity, a wonderful event coming up here in Dallas on Saturday, what our guests will tell you more about. And before I launch into that, I just want to acknowledge that today is one of the several holidays in America, we remember the Holocaust. We're not going to be addressing that today. I just want to mention it because I don't want the day to go by. This is one of our Holocaust Remembrance Holidays. So grateful that America and really people around the world remember and learn from the memory of the Holocaust. So we never have such a thing again. Mm. But today we're gonna talk about election integrity. I have two great people joining me in studio. Uh, And the first is just to my right, Beth Biesel. Uh, She is the co-founder and the uh, just Honest to goodness, the real energy behind something here in North Texas. Uh, it's called the American Liberty Forum. And it is, Beth is one of these people. I'll give a little introduction of her. She organizes and runs the American Liberty Forum, it is, attracts people from around the state of Texas, very substantive, very serious. Programs and presentations about the idea uh, of all that it takes to save America. And she has wonderful uh, meetings. People really come in from around the state to attend her meetings. She has great speakers. She's also someone, when she talks about an issue or learns about an issue, uh, she doesn't just skim the surface and read the headlines. She really dives in deep. So we've had many long conversations on many topics uh, related pretty much to saving freedom and America. So Beth Beasel is here with me in the studio. Also in the studio is Pete Morocco, uh, and he is someone that you'll hear more about in a moment. Uh, He's got a resume that is interesting and unique. He's worked in Washington, D.C. and for the federal government. He's a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for African Affairs. There are a lot of other titles, but they're kind of long, but he has worked in Washington numerous times in very, very serious positions, Uh, a great thinker, a great leader, and now, uh, happily for those of us in Dallas, based in the Dallas area, And what we're going to talk about today is the event in Dallas on Saturday and more largely the issue of election integrity. So welcome to the show, Beth and Pete. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I want to tell our listeners, I'm going to put the flyer up and then we'll go. I want to tell you and we'll put this up more than once. But you still could purchase a ticket and attend this event on Saturday. The flyer is up on the screen, uh, and you can, I I don't know if you can grab the QR code off of that screen, so in in a moment we're going to tell you how you can still get tickets to go to that, but they're calling it Election Transparency on Trial. As you can see, they have Laura Logan, who for no other reason, you should come because she's so entertaining and feisty and strong and smart. But she will be uh, moderating the whole day. Um, and it is this coming Saturday, April 30th. And you can also go to a URL to purchase tickets. And Mr. Becker, I believe, has that URL. There you go. To get tickets to election transparency on trial event. You can go to that. Link And I learned right before we went on today, you can also purchase tickets simply by going to TexasEagleForum.com, TexasEagleForum.com. You can buy tickets to be there or buy tickets to watch online. So now let's dive in. So, Beth, you are the um, ringleader. I don't know what word to use. <laughs> That's the <good> organizer. <laughs> I'd love to have you yeah. tell uh, all of us why are we doing this event in Dallas? Uh, thank you, Debbie. So um,
0: this symposium is an opportunity to invite people to have a conversation about how we do elections in Texas and in other states, but primarily in Texas. We have a a premise that this symposium was built on, and that is we cannot guarantee one vote to one voter. We have no way to ensure integrity in the current election system. So we want to explore that in the symposium. We've got lots of different ways to do that. We're going to do some demonstrations to show how vulnerable our system is. we will have some presentations to talk about small-picture vulnerabilities and big-picture vulnerabilities. And I think maybe you two will be talking later in your show about what y'all are going to discuss. But we have four takeaways. One is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, fraud is possible. Second, the current system is vulnerable. Third, now if that's the bad news, the good news is, third, solutions exist, and then action is necessary and then we'll talk about emerging models for success. So we will leave people with um, hope, although in the beginning, we're gonna scare you half to death because the current systems are very, very vulnerable.
1: I think that's actually news to a lot of people, Uh, maybe especially before the 2020 election. I think most Americans thought, you know, elections are pretty much in America. This is America. We know how to do everything. We, We wouldn't, we're the, you know, we went to the moon, we can make elections fair. And so I think, after 2020, more people became aware there might be serious election fraud problems. But I love that you, this is typical Beth beisel not just talking about it or wringing your hands, but thinking, how are we going to present all this? So I want to turn now to introduce Pete Morocco. And Pete, you know, I know I want to dive in and talk about elections. But before that, you're, and I'm sorry, I gave short shrift to a <laughs> wonderful resume you have. I could have read a longer one. But one thing you did that we mentioned walking in, you actually worked with trying to assess around the world countries and signs of instability. I may not be describing that correctly, but describe what you, this expertise you have that I think does relate to what we're talking about today.
2: Sure. So, what, um, one of the priorities for the Trump administration was to make evidence-based decisions that you're going to make policy based on data. I mean, imagine that, that you weren't just going to make it off of, yeah, right? (laughs) How silly. Um, But we wanted to look at evidence for the foreign policy decisions we were going to be making, and the reasons that there would uh, be a justifiable American interest in getting involved in certain conflicts or how we could measure a conflict that it's actually deteriorating into something that's a threat or it could potentially uh, devolve into a genocide or it could turn into uh, another type of atrocity. Um, you mentioned the Holocaust earlier, right? There are other atrocities that have happened since then, um, even in the last 30 years. Um, and we can measure how that took place going down a series of steps. and so. Um, there was a system that we created there called the Instability Monitoring and Analysis Platform. Say that again. Instability Monitoring and Analysis Platform. I
1: love that. Okay. And
2: so it's in the Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization Operations at the State Department. And most of it's based on a system called ACLID, which is the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data- Database. And this is a system that's openly available, that's funded by the U.S. State Department. Interestingly enough, um, they, they did something they weren't supposed to do. They started looking very quickly at the turn after the uh, 2020 election at what was going on in the U.S. Now, because this was State Department dollars, it was not supposed to be used looking inside the U.S., right? And they got in trouble for that. Um, but interestingly enough, the reason that they they raised that attention is because we were clicking all of those boxes that we look for for states that are devolving into civil conflict. So. It's extremely concerning. That's one of the reasons why I got involved is because you see a broken social contract, and that is that American people believe that they can take part in their government. And then there's a large part of the population that believes that that was taken from them. And so uh, and justifiably. And so when you see that, that is one of I think one of the greatest first steps where you can say that's an early warning indicator of bad things to come.
1: That was so well said. And I love, I know the military has all these acronyms and the State Department does. They didn't write them all down. But I want to repeat one thing you said just to make sure everyone's following and then talk about, ask you what indicators those might have been. But you said that applying this assessment program that was put in place under President Trump to try to have factors you assess, evidence-based factors in in foreign policy, trying to determine how unstable, insecure, alarming, headed toward violence some country is. And you guys, you are inadvertently or whatever reason, it was applied to the U.S., and there was a determination America is checking some of those boxes that could lead to instability after the 2020 election. Are you able to share, like, what were those boxes? What are the reasons that you, based on this, determined America seemed might, might be on a wrong path?
2: Sure. So, the system is very sophisticated, and it comes up with um, scoring algorithms that would assign values to certain levels of grievances or violence, or political events or political protests. And so um, I guess just to hit a few factors, uh, if you see hate speech online, or if you see um, false flags of hate, hate speech, in particular, this is something that China uses in Africa all the time. China loves to foment um, intertribal or interethnic conflict because it's one of the quickest ways that you can erode identity within a, within a country and you can have uh, a one side against the other inside a country that otherwise that wasn't as much of an issue. Um, One of the most clear examples of this is Nigeria. In Nigeria, we had very clear evidence about what was causing some of the conflicts um, inside the country, and it is of concern because Nigeria is one of our most important partners on the continent. Um, However, uh, the narrative that was put out there as policy did not actually match the data. This is one of the uh, tough lessons that I learned in government, is that even though you have facts, a lot of times that's not gonna be the reason you actually make policy. And so you, you started to see a lot of false data out there that would say that this is all climate change or something like that. And you'd get these sort of emotional narratives that really grab a certain population and they all get behind and they say, oh yeah, you know what population uh, is is the, the problem that it's driving populations from one place to the other because climate change, right? And we can blame it on this and it, it's a herder farmer conflict and it's not. And we have the data that shows the grazing lands and the rainfall and the crop cover. And we can show, no, actually, in fact, it's getting greener over there, right? So so all, <laughs> so your claims are just patently false. Yeah. And so many times I discovered that um, American foreign policy was based on something that just wasn't true. Um, so uh, anyways, I just point out that example to say that sometimes, even though you have the facts in front of you, you can still have false narratives that are put out there. Another one is militarization of the capital. Um, when I think about what different types of civil conflict look like. You know, we think about our own civil war. It was the North versus South. There were obvious reasons that that occurred and the reasons that the lines were drawn in a certain way. Um, however, um, in other civil conflicts, you could have uh, the member states versus the federal government. You could also have something that's um, the, the common people versus the political elites. There's lots of different ways that could shape. So um, when you see the militarization of the capital, When you see the uh, false allegations of one's political opponent as a uh, a domestic terrorist or a terrorist in general, this is not something that is a. Even though the Democrats think that they've got this novel idea, um, this is something that is. uh, It's not new. Um, Shortly after the global war on terrorism started, um, this this uh, trend of everybody sort of assigning terrorism to their political adversaries that say, "Well, if you're protesting me and I'm the and I'm the president." well, then you're a terrorist. And so you saw it in Myanmar and Burma, you saw it in Bangladesh, you saw it all over the world. And so people were using this false moniker of terrorism to deprive people of their civil and human rights.
1: So we're going to get to that a little later because the accusation of terrorism on behalf of the current administration in Washington against anyone who disagrees with them is is kind of exploding. In fact, a big story I'll tell our listeners, big story came out just yesterday. We're going to talk about that more. I just want to go back to our voting machines just a little bit in our voting process. I'm glad that you, uh, Beth, put this uh, event together. But part of what people have been saying is you really cannot have. Based on where we are, even with all of our, you know, uh, brilliant electronics and brilliant computer capacity, you can't really have a secure election with using election machines and, uh, and all the other, I learned in reading and preparing for this and for another document I needed to write, uh, even flash drives, even flash drives can be hacked, which I, I, did, I never knew until recently. And I want to just talk about, just see, and have both of you share it in this, but this idea that in America. You know, we already know the history of many, many hacks happening. And you see these stories and, oh, my gosh, you know, some big department store or some government agency or some bank is hacked. And everybody says, oh, my gosh, and they scramble, scramble, try to fix it. But computers are hackable, kind of full stop. And so is what you're I mean, I, we're going to get to some solutions. I guess I want to focus on, though, the the uh, kinds of hacks that have occurred. And uh, just one that I was reading about this morning, uh, again, the Solar Winds hack. Actually, this may have been occurring when you were in Washington, I'm not sure, but SolarWinds hack, by the end of the day, first of all, if you don't know about these facts, in SolarWinds, the hack occurred and data was being collected and not discovered for months. So data stolen from, and then you think, well, okay, but that was just, you know, who included, maybe you already know some of these agencies, but it included, for example, data was eventually they discovered stolen from and hacked U.S. Commerce Department, Treasury Department, Department of Homeland Security, National Institute of Health, State Department, the Energy Department, the National Nuclear Security Administration. All of those agencies were hacked. So I, I just, I, I'd love to have you just comment or pile on, what is, the, what is the reason we would even be thinking that we can make election c- computers secure?
0: I, I have no idea what the reason is, but here's what I say, it's not a matter of if, but when and how much damage? There's no sector in the entire world that hasn't experienced a hack. You've got large industries, major enterprises, um, government, military. And the way I ask it, do we really think that some little um, Navarro County or, or Brazos County or whatever, I don't know if that's a county, but some little county using electronic equipment can protect their election from being hacked? It's really. Pro- preposterous. And and people say, oh, there's no evidence, no evidence of a hack. But I want to say, well, show me your debunking evidence. If you say there's no evidence or the evidence that we bring forward is debunked, show me your debunking
1: evidence. And of course, there's crickets. Well, debunking means show me that it could never happen. And, and yep. of course, yeah. And actually, I think Pete, you might have been involved a little bit during the 2020 campaign or afterward, looking at evidence of election fraud involving machines. I don't know how much of that you can share, but I'd love to have you talk about that. Yeah,
2: so I'm, I'm certainly not. A, uh, I don't have any expertise in um, in the hacking or any of the, the technicals there. No experience. But no. But what, what we yeah, certainly not. No. But what we uh, what we saw. Um, several of us volunteered afterwards to be a part of uh, some of the the efforts in uh, Pennsylvania that were going on, Mm -hmm. we saw firsthand a lot of the evidence that was being presented. The decisions about uh, prosecuting that, the decisions about pursuing that or not pursuing that, it wasn't based in whether or not the information was factual. We had data. People were saying, well, just show me something. If you've got something, we would be talking to the U.S. Attorney's Office there. And the bottom line is, is everybody there was already preparing for a democratic transition. And they did not want to be somebody that was caught investigating or looking into something of what they already saw as a fait accompli. They said, this is a failed effort. You're, you're, you know, we, we can't change this. Therefore, we don't want to pursue it. So I think one of the important things that really needs to be, we need to pull back the onion on is look, I look back at the 2020 election, is the fact that the decisions that were being made and this characterization that there was no evidence of fraud is absolutely untrue. There's evidence everywhere. There was evidence in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's, some of the evidence in Pennsylvania is so laughable on its face. You can go on the public website right now for the secretary of state, and you can see that Joe Biden in some counties got 130 percent of the Democratic registered vote. That's laughable. It's not just in in one county, but in multiple counties. He got more than 100 percent. It would be crazy if he got 70 percent. Right. Right. But but there is evidence. We did see um, uh, evidence. I remember one instance in particular in Delaware County. There was a gentleman who was caught on camera who was unauthorized to be in an area and had stuck a USB drive. Um, And immediately that night, Joe Biden got this surge of 30,000 votes and Donald Trump got none. And so you look at the data for Delaware County, there is this ridiculous pop that makes absolutely no sense. Um, there's cases all over um, when, when you look at it, but just being there physically and seeing some of these cases or people reporting or sending us pictures, there, there was tons of evidence. So I don't think it's fair for people to look back and say, where, why weren't people prosecuting? That was purely a political decision.
1: Exactly, because the word I want to use is political. Please go ahead. Um,
0: at our symposium on Saturday, we're going to actually demonstrate how easy it is to hack. With a cell phone, a free app, you can go from that cell phone into the election server and change election results. And I've done it, and this is a real election. But just to be clear, I'm not wearing orange today because (laughs) what I did was not illegal. Um, This was an image of a real election. But with a simple app, you can go into an election server and with a flip of a switch, change so we can show you how it's done and how easy it is and we will show you that on saturday
1: oh i, I think that's gonna be amazing uh, on, you mentioned flash drives well first to go back to your point i think what we did see in this country was so much expectation built up by the media that hillary you know, the expectation 99 percent likelihood she'll win i mean everyone thought she was going to win except a lot of trump supporters but still people thought she would win in 2016 and i think to have the to hear the um uh, and then in, into 2020, just, just anyway, Trump was going to lose. To hear people pushing back on uh, about election fraud, a lot of these officials uh, are just they don't want to. They don't want to be guilty. Number one, they don't want to have their integrity or competence challenged. And they're just too far down the path of yeah. uh, we've committed ahead of time. And so we're not going to look at evidence. And, and I know probably everyone listening has heard this 100 times going I say it one more time. When you hear people say, well, the courts looked at it, many, many courts looked at it, all the courts looked at were cases filed, and the courts decided not to study the evidence in front of them to find procedural grounds to dismiss the case without looking at evidence. So no courts didn't look at the evidence and reject it. That's a really important Mm -hmm. point. One more thing for our listeners, I I just found this out, and I emailed both of you this morning, and I I didn't know much about this before, but if you'd like to, uh, to read a lengthy and very... Um, solid, substantive by a computer, uh, a professor, an expert on computers, um, affidavit, there's a website called Deep Capture. It's Patrick Byrne's website, deepcapture.com. And he put out in the last week or so, I'm not sure when exactly he put it out, but there is a professor uh, who is uh, named... Alex Halderman, a professor of computer science and engineering director at the Center for Computer Security and Society at the University of Michigan. He was involved in litigation and, I mean, called as an expert and prepared a very lengthy, I mean, I actually downloaded it all and printed out just the first portion of his declaration. But he talks about being given access to and studying the a one Dominion voting machine. And when he's done telling you, it's completely hackable and, and talks about it. it's, it's child's play, It's child's play. And he didn't use that term as my term. My point is, and to buttress that both of you are saying, the election fraud proof grows and grows and grows. I urge you to go to deepcapture.com. And for any of your friends who say, well, election fraud couldn't really happen, they couldn't hack the machines, just send them this because it's irrefutable. And I'll tell you something else that people, maybe similar to what you've encountered, but I know other people working on trying to expose election fraud, they run into election officials, and you both probably have worked elections, I've worked elections, where their answer is, You're questioning my integrity. I I checked all the boxes. They gave me a list of instructions. I check, check, check. And so it's very true that you could be a participant in the election process. You could be an election judge, have no idea and and do everything right. You're not participating in the cheating. The cheating's occurring in a more hidden way. And maybe, Pete, you can address that, or either of you, actually, Beth.
0: Well, for example, in our county, even the county employees, that are managing the um, central accumulator, central tabulator, uh, the receiving of the flash drives. They have no clue. All of this, um, the, the criminals—they're not the county employees. They're certainly not the judges. I don't think, and at least in the cyber crime world, they have no idea. And I've talked to them about, what do you think? You know, was was there crime? Was there? illegitimate things, and they, oh, no, this was the most perfect election. In their eyes, it really was because they have no clue what goes on behind the scene. These are outside intruders coming into the uh, computer systems. Um, There may be some front doors or back doors that are open by county employees, but by and large, it's not really your typical county employee or judge or clerk in the field
1: for the cybercrime yeah it's very important because as pushing forward to have this information understood you, you don't want to have to deal with the reaction of people feeling personally accused what you just said kind of absolves we're not saying you we're saying it's way beyond you mm-hmm. did you have any thought about that as you're working during the 2020 campaign or after the 2020 campaign whether whether part of the resistance is just objection from people that either he wouldn't cheat or she wouldn't cheat or we didn't cheat and they don't want to look at it is that
2: well it's so decentralized you know you're not going to find one single smoking gun that leads to one person you know it's funny when um you think about a much more local example last year during may 2021 there was a school district uh, a school board election here in dallas um, that very clearly on the day of the election we had two candidates and the results on the day of the election they panned out basically how everybody was expecting, and so candidate one, um, I, if I recall, had you know roughly sixty percent of the vote, and the other candidate had just below, uh, just below forty percent or something something like that. Um, but it was a clear a clear result. However, the mail in and the early voting result was completely manipulated, such that candidate one, who clearly won the election, um, had this ridiculously low percentage of like ten or fifteen percent. And, and so you see, you clearly see manipulation in um, early voting and in mail-in voting. In my personal opinion, that's one of our, our weakest spots. Mm-hmm. And we did see this before. And frankly, you know, let's look at what the Democrats were doing back in 2016. They actually took out Bernie Sanders. So look what the Democrats did to Bernie both in 2020 and in 2016. So they did do it then. I, you know, I frankly think that one of the only reasons that they didn't do it more in 2016 is because they thought they had it in the bag, so they didn't want to get caught red-handed. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. so
1: yeah, absolutely. Go ahead.
0: So I want to add to that. Um, while the I think you're saying the cheat is decentralized, the systems are getting more and more complex, more and more centralized, farther and farther away from the voter. So we have less transparency. It's harder to audit. It's more difficult to reconcile. In fact, you cannot reconcile your one vote and one voter. Um, and, and certifiability is pretty much out the window. But I also wanna just bring to the table a concern about the future where the, the progression is this, we started with the paper, then we went to machines, then we went to computers. The next step that I think everybody should worry about, and we need to stop the cheat now so it doesn't get to the next step. I'd love to know if you agree with this. What I'm told is the next step is cell phone voting on blockchain. So if we don't stop this progression now, that is the next step and we need to stop it because you will never be able to audit, poll watch, monitor in real time, um, reconcile anything because all of the vote results, all of the metadata will be way too far away from the voter, way out of our hands.
2: Well, I I certainly think, you know, going online is the next step. And there's been a lot of people talking about that you would even remove the right to voluntarily choose to vote that you would force people to vote that as a part of your citizenship you would be required to vote and somehow or another a vote would be entered for every single person online can you imagine something more ridiculous and and this idea you know this idea of of racial discrimination has been consistently injected as i mentioned before it's a false flag it is something that is used as a manipulation tool to disintegrate our confidence in our democratic system Mm. because it goes to the core of people's identity, right? And I can't think of anything that is more discriminatory than saying this group of people is not capable of voting the same way as this group of people. And so ultimately, we need to keep our elections voluntary. We need to keep them fair. We need to keep them in paper. We need to keep a, a paper trail. I think there needs to be mandatory audits every single time.
1: Oh, I love it. We're going to go through all the things that have to happen. It's a lot of things. I love all the ones you just said. Uh, I'm going to mention, because there was reference made to the mail-in ballots and and all the uh, fraud that occurred there, Uh, just for our listeners, there's a movie coming out this coming Monday, a documentary film called 2,000 Mules, made by Dinesh D'Souza, but with the great help and work and research by Catherine Engelbrecht and her organization, True the Vote. The reason I want to mention it is this, because if you are listening to this right now, wherever you are, you can go to... Uh, I wrote it down. You can go to their website, 2000mules.com. And I urge you to do this, and I'll tell you why in a second. Yeah, 2000mules.com. And you, at the upper right-hand corner, you choose your state. And then once you're in the state, it tells you all the theaters where it's playing. I'll tell you what's happening with this. Here in Dallas, we had a major mall, huge theater, agreed to. It's only uh, this movie, uh, 2000 Mules, will only be out this coming Monday, May 2nd and Wednesday, May 4th. There will be availability in the future, but it is a powerful documentary film that reveals the broad scope of election theft just through the process of sending out unsolicited mail-in ballots. People fill them out, who knows who fills them out, and they pay. The word mule is referring to the individuals who are harvesting these ballots, collecting these ballots, and they have... and, and, and then taking... Piles and piles of mail-in ballots, dropping them off of the Zucker boxes, these boxes that Mark Zuckerberg paid for around the country, mostly in swing states. And this 2000mules.com, this 2000mules movie, if you have any remaining doubt in your heart that there was massive election fraud, you must go see this film. Just this vehicle, which has nothing to do with the electronic fraud, which also occurred, you can, and both things happen at the same time. Mm. But the reason it's so important, I'll tell you. So there's a big, big theater here uh, that was going to carry the movie. That is carrying the film. People tried to buy tickets, and they were gone instantly. The the theater opened up a second theater. The same uh, big mall area opened one of their second large theaters. Tickets sold out instantly. I'm on the phone this morning with a friend who's saying, "Hey, we can go to this other theater." And while we're watching, all the tickets are gone. And so I did get tickets here in Dallas to a showing of this. I think what might be occurring, I'm gonna quickly plant this seed. You know, this happens when um, leftists don't want you to see a film, is they buy out the whole theater. So you think that the film is sold out and you go, oh gosh, I missed my chance. Uh, If you can't find a ticket at the theater is playing it near you, uh, I would still go to that theater that night and see if there really is anyone in that theater because I, I this was a previous film uh that this occurred also and we're coming up next to our for our radio listeners you're coming up to a break please know that it's only a three-minute break when you come back we'll still be here talking uh, with our friends pete morocco beth biesel on america can we talk don't go away back to our conversation online where most of our listeners are i want to make sure I get that pitch for 2000 mules i think it's really important well i want to i mean we could talk a lot more about how the vul- there is great vulnerability of the election system, the 2000 mules method and computer and other ones. But I also want to turn to what I think is, I don't even know how to describe it, the most troubling, the most astonishing kind of factor in all this. And this has to do with the U.S. government's seeming apparent determination to silence conversation about election integrity. And maybe I'll just start with the January 6th committee, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but whatever happened on January 6th it wasn't legal, I think the message being sent to the American people is, don't you protest, don't you protest election. I love your reaction to that before I run through all of the, what the government's doing now to silence. i let you go first. Maybe, I don't know, I didn't, to, I didn't run this by you ahead of time, so. You
2: know, uh, one of the scariest things that I saw this past year was the uh, speech and that uh, bizarre demonstration or whatever the, the um, uh, what, what do you call it, of the candlelight vigil that they held on January 6th for all of the people who didn't die and equated it to the Holocaust, equated it to Pearl oh. Harbor, equated it to September 11th. Um, one of the reasons that it concerns me um, really deeply were, was the language that Vice President Harris used. Um, it was extremely troubling um, from the perspective that I know what it takes to use language in a major policy speech like that. And so when speeches like that are written, you bring together lawyers, you bring together interagency policymakers from all these different agencies that talk about what the ramifications might be for using certain words or invoking certain um, descriptions. Everything she said was what you would use to invoke the use of lethal force on your population. It is what a lawyer would sit there and say, This is how you would justify this. These people are a true threat to the country. So the scariest thing I saw in all this was the language that they used on that day, which was nothing but, in my mind, it was just a complete false flag. It was preparing the groundwork for things like H.R. 350 that we now see, um, this ridiculous disinformation committee, um, all these sorts of things. The Where it could go is very dangerous.
1: I'm, you know, you're an expert in this arena of watching the behavior of government, seeing what how the language is used. And honestly, I don't. I wish I had looked that up again. What Vice President Harris said that day. This is January 6th of this year, 2022. Correct. And so she used language that you view in your expertise as almost intended or, or clearly likely to justify. It was a threat. It was a, a threat. threat of
2: violence. It was a threat that we can and will use violence based on our definition of what took place. And so it's the same sort of language that if you go back and you look, the presidents used, even go back to Bush, when you look at the global war on terrorism. It's the language that's invoked to justify the use of force. And so under the law of armed conflict or even domestic use of force, you have to invoke certain things. And so they really escalated the language, equating it to that that level of uh, reaction.
0: And they're also looking at our response to it, too. So they put that out there, and they're looking to see, are we just, you know, asleep at the wheel? Um, they are measuring what our response is to that, and that, I think, will shape what yeah. their next step is too. But the hubris of it, um, the, the, of course, the danger of it, it just defies everything that we're all about. And I think we need to respond with we will not be silenced.
1: Could not agree more on the January 6th thing. I'll just, um, to elaborate what I, what I meant by it. The January 6th committee allegedly was going to look into the causes of what led to the, the disruption um, or the slightly out of control riot in, at January 6th, which was not an insurrection. We're not going to have to go down that path again. I've been down that path a lot on the show. It was not an insurrection. But the January 6th thing, happened in Washington, and I think it was seen, I think it was fomented, but it was seen by leftists as an opportunity to seize power, to characterize, to label their political opposition, and to cause people opposed to the current administration to feel fearful, to feel like they they don't dare speak up, they don't dare protest, and even people who certainly are peaceful they, but really may be concerned about election fraud because that's really what prompted january six was people thinking the election had been stolen and nothing was being done about it it's, it's a message of we're going to silence you. You're going to stop saying this to us. I, I think the January 6th mm-hmm. um, audaciously, the committee has audaciously gone beyond its scope. They're tracking down people who went to uh, some, they didn't even get inside the Capitol. People went to some rally that wasn't even there. They weren't even there January 6th. Everyone who supported President Trump It's really, it's a, the tentacles reach reached far into attacking the conservative movement in America or the pro-Trump movement. So Very any, alarming.
0: I want to give you an example really close to home. We had a vendor who was going to bring some equipment to our symposium and we were, we were going to demonstrate actually a paper ballot system, hand counts, and we we're going to verify it with an optical scanner. We got right up to the day where they had already said, okay, we'll send the equipment, we'll send a tech support guy, it was all lined up. And then something happened and within just, I don't know, within four hours of the decision to go. They backed off. They stopped. OK, we're not touching anything with election equipment, even when we told them, you know, if this works in Texas, you're going to get a big contract. And they yep. walked away from it. They don't want to touch elections. And yeah. I think they got a phone call.
2: In Post-election, we we saw a lot of people that were experts or were inside the companies of these voting machines that were calling and saying, hey, let me explain to you how the, where you would find the fraud. This is, this is where in the system you would find it. Of course, this is you know, for people who have no technical expertise in this at all and don't know anything about the inner workings of these machines, but we're saying, well, we just need you to come forward. Right? will you please come forward? And they're like, I'll lose my business, I'll lose everything, they'll come yeah. after me. And so there was absolute. really what it came down to is you look at every single attorney that was brought on to actually file the defensive paperwork on behalf of the Trump uh, campaign uh, showed up. And next thing you know, they were just assaulted, attacked. They you know, they're receiving death threats. It was unbelievable, the response that came
1: out. Yeah. You know, a uh, precursor to that was what happened to uh, Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote uh, when she began her work down there. I mean, as a quick summary of it, her, well, she lost her business. The, her company her the, hus- the business show with her with her husband they got an IRS audit they had um it was like ATF I'm not even sure why they were involved they had a they had like every federal agency you can, invo- you can imagine investigating they, they I mean they, they, she lost her company she pretty much I don't know she became bankrupt but she she really lost her life savings trying to defend herself over having done nothing wrong, begun the path of exposing election fraud. Well, I want to just talk about a little bit more about the government and the role of a government in this uh, alleged free society. So right after um, uh, President Biden was inaugurated, um, or I say sometimes he who occupies the White House was inaugurated, there was a, a bulletin put out. This is by the DHS. And just in January 21, January 27th, So very early on, and the bulletin came out talking about trying to expand what they viewed to be as people who might be considered, they were talking about a heightened threat environment, and they want people to understand there might be ideologically motivated extremists um, with objections to the exercise of governmental authority. Um, and the presidential transmission, and then they talk about perceived and fuel, uh, fueled by false narratives, and going on to define, including this, this is just right after uh, Biden's inaugurated, domestic violent extremists includes people who may engage in that behavior, have grievances about the 2020 election results. And I had actually a, a national security expert on my show shortly after this. He just said this is the most, uh, what was his word, was unintelligible, like it, it's A threat. So that started. That was just the first one. But then we've all talked about the one that happened in February of this year where the DHS put out something saying you might be considered a domestic terrorist if you discuss election integrity. I mean, I'm I'm capturing it down. I could read the language, but that's what it's saying. And I loved it. I mean. Isn't that also just a threat to the people who are trying to do what you're doing on Saturday? It's a total threat. And by the way, I titled
0: um, the name of the symposium election transparency on trial um, because election integrity is a term that's under uh, under threat right now. It's also an old term. But transparency really should work for both sides of the aisle because it refers to truth in an election. You can audit it. You can certify it. You can uh, reconcile it. So, I just wanted to make that point that I think it would be well for us to change the language, not because we're afraid, but because we're going to be wiser. And election transparency, who can question that? If they question that, then
1: we really are in danger. Well, actually, I'd love to have you talk about this use of language uh, in this case, um, Pete. This idea that if you talk about election integrity, which I, I, I'm sorry, I love that term. I love the word integrity, I guess. I just, it has a rich meaning to me, but I know it, it's, it's a trigger word. But isn't this, I mean, you talked much earlier about your expertise in assessing governments and the sense of potential de- destabilizing of a society. Isn't this part of it? You're calling your potential people who are challenging electrified
2: terrorists? Attacking free speech, attacking political protests. Um, this is the sort of thing that uh, failed regimes or regimes that then descend into civil wars. Uh, this is consistently something that you see. It's, it's bizarre to me that they, these lessons that the U.S. government has learned over time are suddenly being forgot, forgotten in the moment. And it really is, is to me, uh, you use the word hubris. I'm amazed with, uh, it seems like Merrick Garland's, I, I'd say he's going for broke with this. It, it's just he's going so far with this language, this disinformation council, H.R. 350. Um, it's as if he thinks he's going to be attorney general forever. Um, I mean, there's going to be another attorney general one day.
1: Actually, you think so if we keep our system of government. No, go ahead. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, there's going to be uh, somebody else that's going to come along. I mean, look, for example, what's going on right now with the Durham uh, trial. Right. Uh So we know for a fact now that, in fact, the Hillary Clinton campaign did hire Russian agents, did do all these things, did illegally uh, create fake evidence. Not only that, that the U.S. government knew was fake and knew it was fake back in 2016, and they even advised the FBI that it was fake back in 2016. Yep. And so all that information was known. Yet you want to talk about disinformation? Adam Schiff, you know, carried on with the most ludicrous you know, impeachment for years. Talk about disinformation. Are you going to prosecute that one backwards? Um, I So I, I'm just I'm kind of curious how far they think they can go with this, because um, it seems to me that they're just forgetting all the lessons of history.
1: They are. And actually, I'm glad you're raising that point, you know, that and back to your I love that you had that someone has studied these kind of ideas about what causes societies to feel unstable and to be potentially ahead of for trouble, because more and more people now know what you just said that in 2016, Pretty much the powers that be were aware. Hillary and her team cooked up the Russian-Trump collusion. They, they fomented it. They spread it around. The government knew it. And everyone sits back and watches you know, somebody uh, getting prosecuted by Mueller for like nothing. And yet Hillary and the entire team seem to be immune from our rule of law. And I, I would think that'd be among the most destabilizing things imaginable.
2: Well, ultimately, it's citizens not having confidence in their government. And if you break that social contract, that is, that's is—that's the social contract where, where you maintain peace by which that, that people realize that they can have confidence in their government, they feel safe in their persons, they feel safe in their rights. Um, and if, if people really feel that that one thing that we have as Americans that holds us together as our government is that we have the right to participate in it and to know that our vote counts. And if you really take that away from people and say, you know, your vote doesn't count, whoever that is, those are the people that are going to rise up.
1: And, and in America, I mean, we, I mean, I, maybe I saw Pollyanna, but honestly, being raised in America, I always, I really did always think it was the greatest country imaginable. I, I love the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all these rights. And at least for a certain generation of people uh, in America, this is what America is and will always be. And to have this kind of thing occur where it seems very obvious the election was, you know, full of uh, massive fraud in many vehicles, many ways, and that what we're describing now what happened in the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax, and nothing seems to happen. You, you begin to not just feel frustrated with a particular uh, attorney general who ought to prosecute, but you feel like the whole system's falling apart.
2: You know, I, I say more and more, turn to your state governments, right? You know, you look at the Ken Paxton lawsuit. I think that was very bold. I'm very disappointed yeah. that the Supreme Court decided that they lacked standing and therefore there was no jurisdiction over the case. I think it was really problematic that that was never even uh, taken forward. I think that was a real question to be asked, uh, to, to be addressed by the Supreme Court. But I think more and more, I think citizens are going to have to start turning to their state governments and their local governments. And interestingly enough, that is something that we know in the stabilization field that that is how stabilization occurs: is finding locally credible actors and local security. So, getting to know your sheriff, getting to know your law enforcement officers, having confidence in your local government, your state government—that's um, that's where we've seen it happen worldwide. So, ultimately, I think. if if people want to engage with their governments and have better confidence, start at the local level. Because ultimately, that's what impacts your day-to-day life more than anything.
1: Yep, and they're accountable. Please go ahead.
0: And I think I would take out the if. We have to engage. We have to engage. Um, People cannot continue to stay home and do nothing. And that is one of the drivers on Saturday, is to drive people to action, to get engaged, and just to put a number um, to that engagement in Texas, we need 35,000 people engaged. We've done some math. We've um, looked across the state. It takes a lot of people to do. Not everybody does the same thing, but people can't stay home. And I think something you were talking about, they just keep pushing the envelope. They will keep pushing the envelope as long as we let them. Until so it's the on, stand it's on up. us now. It's our time to stand up. Find your lane, find your niche, find your tribe, find your, you know, whatever, and do something. But
1: don't just sit home. Yeah, well, one thing I know, Beth, you and I have talked about and our many lengthy conversations, but about how people being involved, you can do a lot of things. You can get involved in one campaign and just you know, knock yourself out about that. But in this particular case, in trying to get changes made at the state level with respect to election integrity or election transparency, there are a certain number of people who have authority to do that, and they, I, as I point out many times on the show, everybody who's holding office got there under the current system of elections, and so few of them are very comfortable. Challenging it because they're saying hey, I'm probably not really validly elected unless they don't want to say that And so it takes the people standing up to say we insist on the following whatever it is six or ten changes but getting your voice out there is not hard. And once, if you come to this symposium, you can actually learn what you can do and, and to whom you can communicate and how to do that. And what are the points to make, because these people who hold elective office, they actually like holding elective office. They mm-hmm. don't want to lose out. So they do want to have, mm-hmm. if they hear from enough people, they will respond. Uh, I do want, before you get one, into the next little phase, I want I do want to go back to the seminar, that I mean the Saturday program. But one of the things that came out just or came to our attention in the last couple of days was actually testimony um, by Department of Homeland Security um, Mayorkas uh, talking about the idea in testimony in Congress uh, that there has been now created within the Department of Homeland Security a disinformation governance team. Okay, if you're thinking 1984, you should be Ministry of Truth. I mean, there it is a it is a committee to tell you what different disinformation is. And I made this point on my show. I don't know what day it was, but I want to make it again. If somebody in government is in charge of deciding what is truth and, and error, or what is disinformation or real, they're in charge of truth. So I mean, if truth were as simple, it would 2 plus 2 is 4. I mean, you really shouldn't argue with that. Sun is hot, water is wet, a lot of facts are not in dispute. But things that you cannot easily investigate, the things that may be very hidden, uh, insidious means of interfering with elections, The idea that someone in government will appoint themselves and say, well, we're going to be the one to determine you're talking about XYZ and and the big issues that that this agency appears may address, aside others, has to do with election integrity and also COVID policy, which we've been over on the show ad nauseum, the idea that you should have health care freedom you should be able to pursue prescriptions your doctor's suggest rather than being coerced into something else you may not want to do but back to this this is actually a formal announcement by DHS it's going to be called and, and oh and by the woman in charge of it Nina Jankowitz. troubles you know about her
2: now I've read some of the pieces yeah okay
1: trouble she is one uh, you remember when the whole story about Hunter Biden's laptop came out and it was before the election and the government's trying to say, what laptop? We never heard about that laptop. And they had a bunch of, of highly placed former national security people signed like 50 or 52 or something signed. Nothing to see here. This whole Hunter Biden laptop sounds like disinformation, Russian disinformation. And she, this Nina Jankowicz, backed them, said, yep, they're right. Russian disinformation. She's in charge of the new DHS disinformation, governance. Pete, Morocco, what could go wrong?
2: I can't imagine, you know. <laughs> it, this is, um, it's ostentatious. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Um, it is, I, 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 I have a hard time reconciling that even that this is that the Democrat party that I grew up with, you know, that everything I'm seeing, this is the way that China controls information. This is the way China uses disinformation in countries that they're trying to uh, control they uh, will train journalists they will bring them to seminars they will bribe they will threaten they will coerce they will exploit and blackmail they use these sorts of techniques Uh, this idea that there's going to be one group on disinformation I mean is one of the most ostentatious and ridiculous things I've ever heard
1: I hope it's it's a threat I hope I mean, it should be (laughs) unconstitutional I would I wish maybe they have to take a few actions before they can be challenged But how can that comport with the First Amendment?
2: I can't imagine. I I, I think there would be there will be lawsuits immediately. I I, there will be I'm sure a number of attorneys general from the various states would probably have motions. I hope lawsuits filed to instantly stall it. I don't know. But I I hope so. I hope so.
0: Doesn't this make you want to fight, though? Oh, yeah. We say them's fighting words. (laughs) I mean, don't tell me. (laughs) I mean, this should in a way, this is good. In a way, because it, I mean, the the, the gloves are off. They're showing who they really are, but by golly, this should make you want to fight. This, if nothing else has gotten people off the sofa, this should make you
1: want to fight and not stay home. Sing it to me, sister. OK, couldn't agree more. OK, I want to quickly, For first of all, we have with our audience at the uh, capacity to ask questions. While the microphone is being passed over there, i take one more opportunity for our listeners. Uh, Mr. Becker, my happy producer, can you put up that flyer again? We can see this event on Saturdays It's coming Saturday, April 30th. Uh, Laura Logan, who will just be so much fun. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that Beth invited me to be part of this. I will be speaking there, as will Pete Morocco and others, uh, and people who are very, very, very uh, more intimately involved in understanding the way in which our mechanics work, and therefore how you can't, and the mechanics of election machines, so therefore how you could hack a machine. Uh, they'll be giving demonstrations and then what you can do about it. Uh, and, and I will just tell you that I have a long list of, uh, if you uh, actually come back to me one second, um, on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. I wrote a piece about a week ago about um, election interference. I forget what the title of the article was, but you can go and read that because I kind of run through all the evidence. If you're still thinking election 2020 was fair and square, I urge you to read that article. Um, and then it also gives them suggestions. I will be repeating them on Saturday, about what we can do about it. Um, but I really urge you to uh, don't just shake your head and think somebody else is going to fix it. It takes everybody, all hands on deck, fix this okay so i don't know if we have questions in the audience do we have and as i always remind people speak right oh they're all going to be shy today well i'll oh no they speak right into the microphone because it's got to go out to our listeners i know you can't answer every issue and everything that go, could go wrong but besides the hacking that can go on with machinery just working at the polls it's so clear that even signing a signature on a screen it can they can just make a mark and that's a signature we used to have it used to be that you could at least check verify someone's signature there's that's completely out the window now if you don't we had it written on a piece of paper we could have put one vote with one signature back then absolutely out the window now
0: yeah i i have a maxim for that things are the way they are
1: because somebody wants it that way yeah. They don't want us to oh. verify signatures. I'm going to steal that phrase. That's yeah. really good. It's yeah. actually why the border isn't enforced, because it's exactly yeah. why they want it. Did yeah. you want to add to that?
2: Action. You know, the people that uh, need to show up, I, I'll tell you right now, when I saw, I, everybody thinks that there was some secret team somewhere that was, oh, no, there's this great team of lawyers hiding somewhere and investigators that are, all have this plan. I was actually quite surprised after the 2020 election, just the few number of volunteers on the Republican side that were just kind of putting something together and the fact is the democrats were very well prepared with lawsuits i think in one county there was over 80 attorneys that were involved in pennsylvania and we were literally just trying to hire one that wasn't you know that wasn't uh, too afraid of the death threats that they would be getting and so we just weren't prepared and so i think now we know that there is an adversary out there that is willing to take a kinetic attack on our democracy, a kinetic attack on Election Day. And we just have to be ready to call it out, to call it and identify it as it happens. If you're not identifying this stuff in real time, you're not gonna have a recourse to address it. So you have to sign up. We need attorneys, we need uh, legal assistance, we need all hands on deck.
1: Love that point, love that point. Someone else I think had their hand up or back here. I wanna add one. Oh, please do, yeah. Just, Just to that,
0: we know all the vectors now. You know, one could say in 2020, somebody stood back and said, okay, we're going to let it happen. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But we know everything, including the lack of being able to verify an electronic signature, the computer hacks, the mail ballots being harvested or whatever. We know. So we just need to put together a plan. We need to be organized. We need people to show up. We need that team of attorneys. We need to have TROs or whatever's in the, Uh, templates, you know, waiting in the wings, we know what we need to do. We just need people to do it.
1: Yeah. One thing, a point you made, Beth, earlier, and I I meant to come back to it, I forgot, but the longer you allow a system to be corrupted and the longer these systems are in place and people, well, that's always how we do it. It seems Mm -hmm. fine. The harder it is to get people stirred up to make change. Mm -hmm. And I think in this particular election of 2020, Leaving aside entirely whether we had proof of electronic fraud, which we did, but just the human observation of what occurred in the 2020 election, the, you know, that we had whatever it was, 15 or 17 of the 19, no, 18 of the 19 um, bellwether Bellwether counties Mm -hmm. went for Trump on average by 13 points, and the one county that didn't went for Biden by two points. I mean, th- there were so many things like that, anomalies. that the. I mean, I'm getting at it. It's a good time to get people stirred up to look at the system because the whole result of 2020 just didn't ring true in connection with what everyone could see with their own eyes. Okay. And we want to move forward. I mean, you do have
0: to look backwards to know where the holes are. But Saturday at the symposium, we're, we're moving. We're looking forward to what do we need to do? A little bit on what the problems are, but a lot on where do we need to fix it moving forward. And transparency is a good place to start because it encompasses a lot of things.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think you might be a nicer person than I am. I mean, transparency is a nice word. I want honesty. I want integrity. And I understand using those words carries the implication that those things didn't exist but, I but they don't but I didn't want to get kicked off of social
0: media and we okay we put a lot of I'm... advertising on social media so we had we but um I'm working with Tina Peters in Mesa County Colorado and on one of the calls somebody said and it may have been Tina in her case transparency is on trial oh I thought okay that's that's what we can use and so it's not because I'm nice because I'm not but um, <laughs> okay. um, but it
1: it is all about integrity, but a word that isn't a trigger word. I got to jump in for our radio listeners. I want to remind you one thing. You're going off in 10 seconds. Please come back to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. The next Thursday show will be May 12th. Catherine Engelbrecht is joining us. And there's no Thursday show next week goodbye to our radio listeners. We saw three minutes online. Okay. This is, this is great. This is twice in the show. I caught it at the right time. Usually I'm like, oh, wait, they're gone. Okay. But um, back to what we're talking about. I'll tell you, this is my other um, alarm bell about where we're headed. I, everything you said, I completely agree with. And I think getting people awake, but I think that the, we don't, you don't have to go down this political path, but the idea that in Washington, our federal government is engaged in speech suppression and it's not silent anymore. It's not hidden. It is very open as what DHS did right after the election, what they did in February with their bulletin, what they're now doing with this new committee. America could change not just the election system, but the whole culture to where you don't challenge the government anymore. And I think if we don't push on that and push for fair elections and keep telling them that we know what would happen, We don't end up, we we, we are going to have a hard time getting back out of that, a hard time getting America back. Right. And go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I think you hit it at the core of why this is such a passionate issue for so many people. Donald Trump, at his core, represented a disruption of the status quo of government that was not serving the people. Every time we tried to reform or remove a budget or this program that's garbage or ridiculous, we're, we're going to start getting rid of these programs. We're going to start serving the people. We're going to start saying, how, how do we have that taxpayer at the table when we're starting to make decisions? This is what was disruptive. And this is what that entrenched unelected bureaucracy could not take. And they viewed Donald Trump himself as a threat to their fiefdom. And so this, uh, the, I think to many people, the 2020 election, it's, it's about so much more than Donald Trump. It really is.
1: It absolutely was getting America back. Beth, I want to let you make one more pitch for your Saturday event. Uh, and again, for our listeners, you can just get tickets. You can still get tickets at TexasEagleForum.com. But hurry up because it's this Saturday. You want to, why don't you tell a little more about that, and then we'll wrap up.
0: Um, we're going to have a fun surprise it, at the end of the day. Do I know about it? No, I didn't even know. you didn't oh. know about it. <laughs> we are going to have – I just found out yesterday we're going to have a great closer. Um, uh, when we do our election, first of all, the election's going to be a little risque, uh, but you'll get to vote. You know, you can vote nice or not. And then the person who's going to be delivering the votes is going to um, burn the house down. He's going to peel the paint off the wall. So um, I do want to encourage you to come because th- there's going to be a lot of great information, but we're going to have some fun, too.
1: Love that. Uh, thank you. First of all, thank you both so very much for being here today. What a thank great, you. great, great interview. Thank you so much. <laughs> And we got to wrap it right up. I want to tell you, folks, May, as I mentioned, is a little bit of a busy month in our um, household. So one show in May only on Thursday, which is May 12th. Catherine Engelbrecht, no other Thursday shows. Be back June 2nd with Dr. Brian Artis. who's uh, going to tell us all about his amazing discoveries related to COVID. Uh, I will have some May shows, but a little bit disrupted calendar because of out-of-town speaking engagements and other things like that. But I love doing this show every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. It's America Can We Talk, where I always talk to Truth About America, because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
2: America, can we talk truth about America?